I can encourage you to um, find your seats. Hopefully you've taken possession of, uh, temporarily at least, a green Bible. And uh, I'd love you to turn in that to um, page, uh, page 1112, 1112, green Bibles here. If you're tuning in at home, uh, then we're in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 10 through to verse 20. Um, just, uh, I'm, um, I'm kind of old school, but I think I'm also right on it here and just insisting on like a good old book. I know you can get it on your phone, but there are other things that pop up on your phone uh, and we get distracted. I get distracted. Uh, so this just enables us to do some focused, deep work. This is Paul writing. He's concluding a letter to a church in Ephesus. And uh, he says this, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand <clears throat> your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Father, take your words. Written, we believe, for them, there, then, and by your spirit, apply it to us here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, let, me, let me start with a little book plug as we launch this um, little series, um, October and through November, up until the, the Christmas services. There'll be more details about that on the website, 60 Seconds, so on, our carol services and, and so on. But um, if, if there was a sort of textbook for, for the next few weeks, it would be this book written by John Mark Comer, uh, he's a, um, oh, he's got a, <laughs> a fan in the house. Um, he is, uh, formerly, he was a pastor. He, I think he planted the church in, in Bridgetown um, in sort of northwest uh, um, America, um, Bridgetown congregation. And uh, he, he's, he stepped back from that, actually, to, do, to really focus on some teaching uh, that arises out of this book. I guess this is the sort of the, the magnus opus of his, the work that he's doing now. This book is called Live No Lies. Recognize and resist the three enemies that sabotage your peace. Interesting. 
Uh, that's been sort of something of a, a sub-theme this evening. So um, I, I thoroughly recommend that book. We've purchased, as a church, we've purchased a whole load of these. It's um, only available on, I think you can get it on Kindle probably, but uh, in book form, only in hardcover. And uh, I think it retails at six ninety nine. but we're going to sell it to you for the bargain price of a tenner. 16, 16.99. <laughs> but we're going to rip you off. <laughs> Elsewhere, 6.99. But here, come to the church, we'll rip you off. For, I'm saying it's a 16.99. Um, uh, I quite like it when things go wrong, by the way. I, I, uh, I know, I've blessed the team. I felt for the, the music team because... You know, they here at three o'clock, they're so dedicated to committed Sunday by Sunday and they practice and rehearse and set up and then, you know, there's a glitch. I don't know what, what it was. And, uh, but, um, and I feel because, you know, that's, that's tough, isn't it? But actually, you know, I'd offer this reflection on when things, because I sometimes wonder that we get, you know, we look, it all looks so sort of amazing and sort of pristine and good that it, it weirdly distances us. And, when things go wrong, it, there's a vulnerability there. I felt for Matt, is, you know, we, we feel his kind of exposure and vulnerability. And then we think, hang on, haven't we come here to worship someone who was vulnerable and exposed for our sake? And so actually maybe that there was an act of worship, drawing us closer to him. Not, not that we deliberately make mistakes, but um, occasionally that happens. Anyway, back on the book, 10 quid, bargain, 16.99. Uh, I've got a, a box them down there. That What you do is you grab the book, let me know, and I'll write your name on that thing. And then if you um, just go to the tap and go uh, little machine on the, on the desk out there, and if you just, it's default at 15, just scroll down to, so tap it to make it alive. Then you scroll it down to 10, tap it, and it goes, okay, I'm here. And then the little white light will come on, and you wave your phone at that, and bingo. Our bean counters uh, amazing people backstage. They'll know then. They'll see your name and £10. And they'll know that's not for the church pot, but for the Live No Lies pot. Does that make sense? Yeah. Fight Valiantly. Uh, w- weird title. Why, why is this little sermon series called Fight Valiantly? Well, those are the first two words of a prayer that we all pray as a church at a baptism service. So in the, the morning congregation when we often baptize babies. By the way, it's not exclusive. I'd love to have a uh, kind of adult or full immersion baptism. Uh, we've got a pool. We fill it with water. We have it in here. It would be amazing. So if you've not been baptized or you've maybe come to faith since you were baptized as a little one and you'd love to kind of reaffirm that baptism made, those vows made on your behalf, um, and you'd like to do that as an adult, we would love to uh, model a service around, around that. And if we did so, uh, and if we used the, the liturgy, then there's this prayer. Um, typically with the candidates in the morning, I, one of the things the priest does, he, he puts his finger in the water, not actually that water, but, um, and he or she makes the sign of the cross on the forehead. And then everyone, the whole church, join in with this prayer. And and to the candidate, they say, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue his faithful soldier and servant for the rest of your life. Fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue his faithful soldier and servant all the days of your life. What I want to do is to frame this talk and to frame the series with a, a, a kind of 
overarching principle. And it, you don't need to turn to it, but it, I, I'm just to make sure I get it right. Genesis 1 verse 1 um, <laughs> says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the original Hebrew, that sentence is seven words. Kind of indicating the, the seven days or eras, periods of creation. In other words, that verse, Genesis 1 verse 1, is, is complete in itself. And the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 unpacks that sentence. But that's the headline. God created the heavens and the earth. I.e., God created everything. And, and heavens and earth is, is, if you like, sort of Bible or poetic language for things that we can see and things that are real and exist, it's just we can't see them. Um, so um, if you think about the, 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 the spectrum of light, if you think a whole spectrum of light, there's, there is, there's bits of the spectrum of light that we can see and perceive and measure, but there's bits of just in our, our naked eye, human eye, we can't. We can't naturally see ultraviolet light. But it exists. It's just as real as the light that we can see. So there are bits in the whole of creation that are real to us and bits that are no less real. It's just we can't, we can't see them or feel them or touch them and perceive them with our senses. A um, little illustration here. I've got sponge and, and water. The, the, the seen and the unseen connect. They interrelate. So, um, so squeeze out here, because I'd love you to, you know, just note, just, there's the sponge, and just note the color of the sponge, okay? And I'm going to put the, the sponge into the water, and at one and the same time, the water enters the sponge. Note the color. Tra oh, sorry, not high enough, those craning their neck. It's, it's changed, transformed. Still a sponge. Still a kind of yellow, it's gone a kind of yellow ochre rather than the bright yellow that it was before. So an interaction between, an engagement between the seen and the unseen brings transformation. It's kind of what, in one sense, um, the Bible's a love story. The Bible is about God's grace. I mean, there's lots of sort of rich threads through the Bible. But in one sense, you could argue, in a slightly sort of dispassionate way, the, the, the Bible is the, the story of what happens when earth touches heaven and heaven invades earth. So, I mean, for, just for the physicists, there are two reasons why the water has entered the sponge. One is because the sponge is porous. It's created to receive. But, but Another reason why the water has entered the sponge is because it's, the water is exerting a pressure on the sponge, which, because it's porous, receives the water. So I invite you just to play with that analogy as you think about us, represented by the sponge, and the unseen realm, the spirit realm, the Bible, the heavenly realm or spirit realm, kind of two phrases for the same thing. Things that are real but that we can't sort of see or touch or feel or smell, but are no less real for that. That because we are created, as it were, porous to spiritual things, we're created porous to God, that as we encounter God, his pressure, if you like, his, we call that his love, or his glory, 
See, glory literally means weight. So the, the, the pressure of God's love invades us. And as we are invaded by love, so we are transformed. But, <laughs> could you feel a but coming? <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, so, are you happy so far? Yeah, good, good just checking. <laughs> so we are created by God to receive his love so that, so full of his, I mean, you, can you just, we just leak. We just leak God's goodness, God's love, God's patience, God's kindness, God's imagination, God's creativity, don't we? All the time, 24-7. Yeah, yeah, there we are. So why don't I? And why don't you? Why is it that every single one of us in the room, we know what it's good to do, what it's right to do, and sometimes we do that. But we also know that it would be right and good to do that consistently, and we also know that we don't do that. Why is it that it's so much easier to receive gossip about someone and then pass it on salaciously, adding a little bit more on the way. Why is that so easy to do? And yet when I know the truth about someone that's being slagged off in the office, I find it so hard to speak what I know is true and to stand up against the others on behalf of that colleague. Why is it so easy to just go with the flow, even when I know the flow is not good and noble and right and wholesome? Why do I find it so hard to resist? I, I, I really encourage you to tuck into Live No Lies. This book we'll unpack in a way that I, we'll do our best here. But I don't think we'll do... We'll, we'll do the answer to that question as, as much justice as maybe he does. So I, so I employ you to read the book. We'll buy more. If we sell out today, we'll buy more. I'd love every single person to read this book that we can all actively engage on that, that issue. That if we are created to receive God who's wanting to press his love into us so that we can live lives that, that, that just spread his goodness, that the aroma of his love, that I was, oh, that smells good. Yeah, come and find, come and get, come and be filled with God's love so that we can, we can see transformation, a change of color in our politics and in our discourse, a change of color in our social media and our interaction. Citizens with citizens, family members, communities, cities, Nations, our world. Kind of moved by um, Tyler's prayer, kind of a, a new season, a new season to, to wake up to the realities, maybe where we've been swallowing lies and living distorted truth. So fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ. Want to just, what we're going to do each week is just take that prayer and take chunks of it. So tonight is just fight valiantly. Uh, disciple of Christ, we'll look at sin, the world, the devil, and what it is to continue as a faithful soldier and servant. Uh, so that's the sort of root map for this sermon series. So just very quickly, fight. It's really weird. I see little Saskia was just over there. And um, 
uh, little, and I'm baptized little infants. And it's a, it's a real sort of, ooh, moment, you know, in the kind of church life. And I kind of hold this little baby in there, and everyone's like, ooh. And there's, you know, there's nothing more innocent than this sweet little child. And I invite the whole church to say, no, we really love you. No, no. I invite the whole church to say, fight a little baby. Fight. It's kind of, there's a dissonance there. You've got to be a fighter and continue his faithful soldier and servant. Yeah, fight. But maybe it's because we've just got slightly soppy and soporific in our 21st century comfortable Western world. There's a war on. We are engaged in a war. If you're signed up to Jesus Christ, you're signed up to, to wage war on that which works against truth. Maybe fight is, um, in the prayer is, is, is strong. Um, what does Paul say? I've lost my place now. But um, Paul talks about um, a struggle, doesn't he? He talks about, bear with. Oh, who's moved Ephesians? I hear it. Here we are. No, I've got to go. Uh, verse 12, our struggle. And at the end, take your stand. Um, Verse 13, take your stand. Maybe, maybe it's about standing firm. Maybe it's about resisting. Maybe it's about, you know, kind of, okay, are my feet set square? Right, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I am going to live for what I know is good and noble and true and pure. I'm going I'm I'm to allow the character and the goodness of God to pour out of me. But that isn't going to be easy. So I will, I will contend. I will wrestle. Those are other words that the New Testament uses. So Fight. Wrestle, contend, be determined, prepared, focused. Fight valiantly. Interesting. I mean, again, it's not an out-of-Bible text. That's, a, that's a sort of the word from the prayer and the baptism service. But I wonder why, of all the words, why, why we'd fight valiantly. Uh, to be valiant is to be determined, to be you know, single-minded, purposeful. But it's also to be brave, to be bold. Why would we need to fight boldly, specifically? Of all the words, why, why to fight boldly or with courage? I, I want to suggest that it's because the battle that we engage with in, in the scene, well, the things that we can touch and measure and smell, it, when we engage with battle in the unseen world, not everyone will see what the battle is. Now, you and I do if you've received Jesus into your life. If, if, if uh, like this sponge, God has invaded your life so that he's opened what Paul says earlier on in this letter, opened the eyes of your heart. We have eyes in our head, so we see you know, visually. Paul talks about the eyes of our heart that we see in, in a sort of spiritual sense. And, and, and then we, we suddenly, oh, my God, I see what's at play here. I see why that flash of anger from a colleague there wasn't, I mean, I, I received the anger, but behind the anger, there's something fueling the anger. So it manifested as anger, but actually it was something else. Fear, possibly, or an insecurity. And that's what's really fueled this. And, and when I can begin to see that, then I can fight w- with precision and insight, 
but I'll need boldness. I'll need courage because not everyone else will see it. Everyone else, is, as we kind of, you know, they, everyone gossips. Everyone tells lies. Everyone just helps themselves from the petty cash. It, it just, that's just what we do. Go with the flow. You think, well, is that the right thing to do? Is that how God is calling me to live? And if I make a stand here, I'll need courage. I'll need boldness. Fight valiantly. We say to the little ones, as you live the whole of your life, never knowing a time when you haven't been living for Jesus Christ. That's our hope and prayer. But if you're going to do that from cradle to grave, you're going to need to fight valiantly. We're fighting against, well, the prayer says, sin, the world, and the devil. This is how, um, this is a kind of, the, 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 the kind of line that goes all the way through this uh, book. John Mark Comer basically, in fact, he divides the book into three sections where he looks at deceptive ideas, i.e. the devil, that play to disordered desires, the flesh or human nature, that are normalized in a sinful society, which the Bible calls the world. So the devil, the flesh, and the world is what we're fighting valiantly against. The, those, are the, those are where the lies emanate and manifest in our lives. So deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Jesus called the devil, who he believed in. Uh, we could come on about, uh, John Mark Comer talks about Genesis 3, talking snakes, mm. Uh, little red creatures with pointy ears and a pitchfork and fanciful, really? Well, Jesus took him for real. And he described him as the father of lies. And, and John Mark Comer is, is just so helpful in how sin starts the truth distortion in our lives. It starts with an idea. And it's the enemy, Satan, who sows in the mind of a Christian an alternative idea to God's truth. A tiny little idea. He just dipped it out like that into the mind. We see it in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. It's, it's clear, beautiful garden. Just yours to enjoy, everywhere, yours to enjoy. But just not that tree, otherwise you'll die. Did, did God really say that? See, just sowing an idea through a question, the innocence of a question. Did God really say that? Which behind that is... Do you really believe God wants the best for you? Do you really believe God is good? Little idea, well, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe he isn't. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I know better. Yes, have a bite. Little ideas. You know the old adage, you, you sow an idea and you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a behavior. You sow a behavior and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a lifestyle. But it starts with deceptive ideas from the father of lies. And he, he establishes Satan through this. He, if he's successful, if we allow him to be, by the way, Another sermon series for another time, but our authority in Christ, oh my, we can tell Satan to flee, skedaddle, or worse to that effect. Miriam Margolis on Radio 4 yesterday had other language that she was pleased to use for people she didn't agree with, but uh, you can use that spiritually uh, to tell the devil where he goes, where to get, where to get off. He has no authority over you because if you are in Christ, I 
just want to make that assumption. But in Christ, it is finished. Satan defeated. And we have the power and authority to resist those footholds. But if we allow him a little foothold, it, it, through that idea, it becomes or can become a stronghold in our lives. And we find ourselves veering away from the plumb line truth and goodness and beauty of God. Our lives become distorted. That's why from time to time, as we follow the ways of the flesh or human nature, we find it so hard to speak the truth or be the truth or be kindness or be patient or be what we know God is. We know God is calling us to be. We find it so hard to do that and so easy to veer off the other way. We collude. That's just the way I am. It's just the way it is. Reality is distorted. We become passive. Oh, I can't change. Oh, oh, whatever. Fascinating. I read... um, uh, experiment they did with a pike and some minnows in a great big tank that a pike you know, great you know, uh, uh, hunting fish and a whole lot of minnows and day after day they put these minnows in and the pike would just go around and eat all the minnows great free lunch and so they put more minnows in pike boom 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 and then what they did as the experiment was um, they separated they put the pike one side of the tank and all the minnows the other side and they put a clear perspex sheet in the water tank and for the next few days, the pike would just bruised its nose or whatever the front of a fish is called. Because uh, it would just come up and see all the minnows. All the minnows were just here. And it would see, it would see the minnows and think, great, lunch. And boom, boom, boom. And it just couldn't get. And, and over the days, it did it less and less as it realized gradually this little idea, oh, that lunch that was mine every day, somehow, for some reason, for some unseen reason, I can't. Get. And so for a few more days and weeks, you've got the minnows swimming around here and the pike just swimming around here. And so eventually, here's the clincher, they took the perspex divide out. And the minnows came and swam all around the pike. And the pike didn't eat a single one of them. Changed behavior, negatively for the pike's point of view. But an idea that had manifested itself out in a whole lifestyle for the pike. Satan loves to do that with us. We, his lies are all around. In, in the good stuff in the heavenly realms, there are also, as Paul says, powers, principalities in this dark world, authorities that are out to undermine the life of God in us. And, and insofar as we receive those and soak them in, we, we begin to live those lies. This book, this book, and this book, extrapolating that book, helps us to live no lies. I want to finish with, with two letters. Um, the first is, is this letter, actually, if, you, if you're in it, page 1112. Let's just go back to the start. I'll I just pick out some of the headlines. It's interesting, all the way through the letter to Ephesians, this is a great letter. And then I've got another letter that's interesting. But um, this letter, it's interesting, the heavenly realm or the spirit realm or the unseen realm theme that goes all the way through the Bible, uh, sorry, all the way through this letter in the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God has so many good things for those of us who, who submerge ourselves in his goodness and love in Christ. We, we, we're invaded with every blessing in Christ, the riches of heaven. But note, chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, you used to live lies. And God, through Christ, has plucked you out of lydom into truth and beauty and reality. And so, uh, actually, chapter 3, verse 10, that was what God always purposed. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's good stuff and there's bad stuff and the good stuff ultimately wins is what Paul is saying there. So his prayer is that uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of, his, out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why we fight valiantly. So that we might be filled with the whole measure of the fullness of God. That's worth fighting for. If we think about what that means. The truth and the authority and the security and the rootedness to be able to live a life that fills us with peace and exudes God's love, God's intention, God's shalom, his integrity, his wholeness, his perfection to a world that is desperate for that. Think about how many people will you engage with, either in person or online this week? I just, I mean, what would, what would it be? I, I mean, obviously, it depends on what you do during the week. But I mean, if we averaged it out, would, if, would it be unreasonable to suggest that we might engage one-on-one with, with 50 people each on average? Well, I can't do the maths, but, but that's, that's over 1,000 people. Just us, and people sort of describe us as a small church. I love that. I love small church. But we were, think about if every Christian worshipping right now in this city was, was to emit the aroma of God because they knew who they were in Christ. Get stuffed, devil. I'm not following lies. I'm living no lies. I'm living in truth and beauty and reality and peace. Imagine the impact that you will have with every text you send in the Spirit, with every email that you write, with every phone call, every one-on-one meeting. Wow. That's a thought, isn't it? So a thought.
There's a thought. I came across this. That was, that's, that's this letter. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. I'm going to just read this memo and then I'm conscious of time. Uh, I don't know whether I should have got hold of this. Um, it's kind of a, I'm fairly sure it's a top secret meeting. And I'm not quite sure how I got hold of this. Um, but anyway, um, I have. <laughs> so I'm going to read it out to you. Uh, it was um, a meeting that Satan held with all his devils. He kind of gathered them all together. And um, this is what he said in his opening address. We can't keep Christians from going to church. Here you are. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. And we can't even keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior. And once they gain the connection with their Savior, our power over them is broken. Be warned, Satan said to his minions. So let them go to their churches. Let them read their Bibles. But steal their time. So they don't have time to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Asked one of the demons. Keep them busy in the non-essentials, Satan answered. Invent innumerable schemes to distract and occupy their minds. Entice them to play the radio or Spotify whenever they drive. Keep the iPlayer on, Netflix, Amazon, Prime, and all that going on in their home constantly. That will jam their minds and break the union with Christ. They won't be able to hear the still, small voice of God. Flood their inbox with junk mail, catalogues, every kind of newsletter and promotion offering free products, services, and false hopes. And keep all the models beautifully slim, airbrushed, and blemish-free in the magazines so that they begin to believe that outward beauty is what's important and they become quietly dissatisfied with their own bodies. Pound their minds with the news channels, entertainment from MTV 24 hours a day, interspersed, of course, with titillating celebrity gossip and salacious titbits from the lives of the rich and famous. Captivate them with a steady stream of pop-ups, clickbait, and ads on their phones. Oh, their phones, Satan drooled. Much more personal and much more private than TV. You can addict them on their phones to porn or to gambling or to both. Give them Santa Claus to distract them from teaching their children the real meaning of Christmas. Give them Easter bunny and chocolate so they won't talk about his resurrection power over sin and death. And even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them come home from the gym exhausted. Keep them busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so they leave with slightly troubled consciences, crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus in prayer. Soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. And this memo concludes that demons went eagerly to their assignments, secretly and silently causing Christians everywhere to get busier and rushed and stretched thin and exhausted. There's a mandate from Jesus in Ephesians and there's a mandate from Satan that I've just read out. How are they doing? It's subtle. Lies always are. The father of lies, it's like he's a deceiver. And so if he's good at deceiving, how would you know? 
unless every now and then, like a sermon series in this church, we pause, we take stock, we assess, we discern. It's subtle, but it's real. I would wager that, uh, again, little adage, but there's something in this, that for many Christians in the Western world, we worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. A distortion. And it's ruining us. How do I counteract this? You, you, you buy that book <laughs> and you read it. <laughs> he's got a kind of conversation. He's quite punchy content, but he's got a conversational style. He's also got, um, uh, it's called John Mark Comer Teachings. Uh, it's a podcast and uh, he's got a number of, he's, he's putting out teachings on this podcast, but there are six teachings that are um, under the heading Fighting the World, the Flesh and the Devil, which are basically him unpacking that book. So if you find it easier, like it's all kind of quasi-audio book. Um, oh, I'm sure you can get it on audio book, can't you? Yeah, you can. So you can, like, you can listen to it that way. You listen to it, his digest of the book, or you can read the book. Either way, I, I just, I'd encourage you in this season, how, how do I live for truth and live no lies, uh, to imbibe that teaching and, and ally. Maybe read through Ephesians uh, over and over again these next six weeks so that we can live transformed lives that make God look good in a world that's desperate to meet with him. Let's stand together.